So can you start by giving me a brief summary about yourself and kind of what you're about? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Allison Roberts, and I own a company called Outrageous Freedom. It is a cognitive behavioral process combined with spirituality. So we dive into our thoughts and our feelings and what we believe and how to examine what's not working and how to change what is working so that people can start to see the outcomes that they want for their lives. And what kind of motivated you to get into this and sort of do this as, you know, your lifestyle now? So the thing that motivated me in the beginning of my life, because I'm 56, so there's like, there's been different stages of motivation. But the very first thing was when I found myself homeless, living in my car in Atlanta, Georgia. When I was 19, I was pregnant and living in a parking garage downtown in my 1978 Volkswagen Beetle. And I had a very influential person in my life. He really instilled in me through the teachings of Napoleon Hill, but also in his own experience in his own life, the importance of monitoring our thoughts because our thoughts do eventually become our outcome because our thoughts and our feelings combined are what bring us to the path that we're on right now. And so, you know, he was... He grew up poor and he grew up black in Atlanta, Georgia in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And so he, you know, experienced a lot of racism and discrimination and he just didn't let that get him down. You know, he just continued to believe that he was born with a purpose and a reason and his passion was to teach and he just kept forging ahead and forging ahead and forging ahead. And he really instilled in me the, the importance of, of not leaning into our outside circumstances and becoming our greatness that we were born into because all of us are born into greatness. We're all born into our own power. And it's just a matter of claiming that power and becoming. That's what it's all about. And did that drive sort of help you when it came to running and building your own business? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I probably think about him three or four times a week still to this day, and I haven't seen him in 35 years. I mean, he's passed away now. He's, he's on the other side, but um, I think about him all the time because, you know, things happen and we can all, we can also come to, you know, prospects saying no and then saying no and saying no and saying no and money and, you know, our love life and our social situations and all those things. It's so easy for us to just be like, well, I can't change an outside circumstance and get really down and depressed, but he really instilled in me the importance of not being our circumstances and how we can change our lives in spite of. So yes, it is my driving force. Absolutely. What kind of gave you the skills you needed to begin inciting changes in other people? Because I understand your motivation. I'll kind of get into what you what you do sort of. Yeah. So um, I studied psychology. I'm a cognitive behavioral expert. And then uh, I studied a lot of spirituality. Every every religion that I could like dive into and get my hands on, I studied it so that I could understand the different perspectives of people's driving force of shame. Because 
we all have within us shame and guilt. It's either instilled in us from our family lineage or it's instilled in us through religion. And so psychology helped me understand familiar pattern, familial patterns. And then I studied religion so that I could understand the religious patterns that different people go through. You know, if you don't do this, then you're going to go straight to hell. Um, You have to be perfect or, you know, you're not going to be met at the pearly gates. You know, you're not going to obtain that ever after life, you know, experience. And so I really wanted to understand that so I could speak to it to help people become the freest versions of themselves. So I studied for eight years. And then I also have owned businesses. So I understand the entrepreneurial side of it too. So it's kind of a cool combination of bringing all of that stuff together and being able to really help someone grow. And can you kind of give a brief gist about what your business model is now about and what types of services you provide? Yeah. So I, my business model is I have a six-month coaching program. And we meet as a group, as a collective group, um, twice a week, studying cognitive behavior. And then I also have people that are in that program that opt in to meet with me one-on-one. And they get 12 individual sessions with me. And that's my program that's called Unapologetic Power. Then I have a, a different program that combines Unapologetic Power, but also takes people kind of to the next level. That's called Up Level, and that is a book collaboration. So I have 13 authors, and they each contribute a chapter, and then they get on stage in October and, you know, teach and share and really allow people to get to know who they are and what their business is all about, too, because I am all about helping people establish exposure and get their, their business and their name out there so that they can have opportunities. And when you're trying to get people's businesses and names out there, how do you do that? We do that through the live event, through the book. I have a whole marketing team that once that, uh, once our book is completed, then we introduce them to podcasts and stages. And, you know, people I find Jimbo, they love to hide. People love to hide. They, they, they love being busy behind their desk. But when it comes to, you know, stepping out into the world, people have a really difficult time with that. And so this system of sort of hand holding and collaboration and support helps people stop hiding um, so that their light can shine into the world. Cause we need people's stories and we need people's voices and we need people's experiences because that's how we learn and that's how we learn and grow is from each other. That's really cool. And you know, what do you think you do more of? Or do you consider yourself more of a coacher or more of a counselor? I definitely consider myself more of a coach. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, a coach, like if you think about basketball, you know, a guy steps onto the court with all of these, all this talent and all of this skill, but a coach can see his blind spots. A coach can help him say, you know, if you, when you get onto the court, you know, if you run to the run out of the crowd, step away from everybody, leave yourself open because you're the three point person. 
And that, that man or that boy may not even be able to see that he's a three point person. Um, but the coach can see it by having like an outside perspective. So I take a person's talent and skills that are already inside of them. And I say, if you position yourself this way, then this is where you're going to shine the most. And it's so rewarding for them. And it's really rewarding for me to, to witness that happen over and over and over again. Now, what was one of your biggest setbacks in life when it came to, and, it, and this could be any stage of your life, what was one that you would consider the biggest? I think the biggest setback for me, the one that really hurt the most was in 2006. So I had established a battered women's shelter. I was buying up houses and renovating them. And so I had rental properties and I was also selling properties. And then of course, everyone knows that that's when the real estate crash happened. And my daughter and I lost everything. And when I say everything, I mean, we lost everything. And we went and lived with a friend and literally like started our lives all over again. And I had already been through that once before when I was homeless living in my car. So I really had told myself that that was never going to happen again. And I was right. I mean, we didn't live in our car, so that didn't happen again. But just having to literally reevaluate my life again and decide like which path I was going to go down again. Um, I really thought that I had failed. And at the time that it was happening, it, it felt like a, a big failure. And then one of my friends who is a therapist and also a coach, she sat down with me and, and she helped me see that, that it wasn't a failure at all, that I had actually handled the situation really well and that I now was going to be able to just, you know, put my life back together a lot easier than I was believing or seeing. I mean, Jimbo, I was for six months, I just sat in the corner of my friend's living room on the floor and was just sobbing like every day. I just, I was in a really deep funk and I was, I wouldn't call it a depression because I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in the universe and Jesus is is a, a master that I consider to be kind of like my guiding force and my leader um, in the spiritual realm. So, you know, I could feel his presence. I knew that he was there with me. I knew ultimately that everything would turn out to be okay. But I, my reptilian brain was really <laughs> running my show at that point. I mean, she was telling me that, you know, you don't know how to real build your life. You can't do anything. It's too difficult. I mean, I, the shame and guilt was really running the show from, I would say, the middle of 2006 into the very beginning of 2007. I was just a, I was a mess. How did you get out of that mess, both mentally and physically? Well, I remember the exact day um, that I finally told myself I was in the shower and, you know, I was like, Allison, you can't do this alone because I'd been trying some different things by myself during that process. And um, I just, I just couldn't do it alone. And I was like, you know, I, I need to reach out for help. And that's when I called my friend 
who's a therapist and a coach. And I was like, you know, I can't pay you right now, but I really need some help. And she was like, it's okay. You know, you, there's some things that you can do for me. So why don't we just trade out some services and, and I'll, I'm happy to do that for you. And I was like, absolutely. So I did some things for her, which helped me, I think, reestablished that I have skills and I have talents and that I, you know, I, I have something to bring to the table. And at the same time, she reminded me of who I am. And that's what I do every day. I remind people who they are. I remind people of the beauty and the power and the strength that lies inside of them. And that's exactly what she did for me. What's one thing you wish you did or one thing that you should have worked on at the start of your career? That's a really great question. I think the thing that I should have worked on or that I would have done differently at the very beginning of my career is collaborating with other people, building networks where we exchange information and refer clients and things like that. Because the way I grew up, I really believed that I had to do it all myself, that I had to be the, a sole survivor kind of thing. And so I wish that I had done that part of my career a lot sooner, honestly. And What's one common myth about what you do in a sense as well? Like, do people ever get misconceptions about what your message is or what you're about? I think the biggest myth is, is that, you know, there's overnight success and that, you know, the path is easy. I think the other myth is that it's too hard to achieve. So I think there's like these two extreme myths that kind of happen at the same time. Either it's too easy or it's too hard. What would you do if someone else was in your own shoes and you kind of had to give them advice from a distance? What would you tell them to do to get out of that same dip? Because I know there's a lot of people watching this. Yeah. You know, if you're in the corner, you know, sobbing every day, or you really believe that, you know, that you're worthless and not enough. The thing that I would tell um, someone who's going through that right now is find some paper and a pen and make a list of every single thing that you've ever accomplished, including like learning to drive, parenting a child, like whatever, like dig in and find all of the things that you've accomplished, learning addition, learning multiplication, because that will give your brain evidence that you can accomplish things, that you have the ability inside of you to learn and to grow, and that you, there was a time when you knew nothing and you learned how to do something that you had never done before. And that reminds us that we, we are smart. It reminds us that we are determined. It reminds us that we have discipline. It reminds us that when we apply our brain to something that we can achieve something. And, you know, Jimbo, I use this with my clients a lot when they're like, Allison, I can't learn a new profession. I'm too tired. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too uneducated. I'm too this. I'm too that. 
And I'll say, you know, I give that exercise and people will come back to me and go, wow. I mean, like one guy that I was working with, you know, he put on there like, you know, cut the grass, um, scramble eggs, bake muffins. Like he, he did, he made this long list of all the things that he can do. And it was like 450 things. And I'm like, see, you do know a lot of things you do. You did learn. And he was like, and half of this stuff, Allison, I taught myself how, how to do. And I was like, exactly. You read an instruction or watched a video somewhere and you figured it out on your own. So it really does bring back a sense of peace and accomplishment. And it opens the brain to see that there is a way. What is the best success story you have about a specific client? Gosh, sir. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, so I have hundreds of success stories. But a recent success story that I have is that I've been working with a gentleman who was in the military for years. And then he got out of the military, but then stayed in that world as a civilian. And when I first started working with him, he was like, Allison, this is all I know. I'm stuck here. I'm going to be here for 20 more years. This is, you know, this is the only way of my life. And he's miserable. And so in the course of working with him, I am like, what do you love to do? You know, and behind him on the wall were like all these beautiful, amazing paintings. And he was like, well, this is, I mean, beautiful paintings. I'm not talking about like color by number stuff. I'm talking about like stuff you would buy and hang in your house. (laughs) And He was like, yeah, he was like, I did these. I was like, get out of here. Like you are not stuck. Like I would purchase those and hang those in my house. And so he is actually going to go back to school. And he figured out that he can go back to school and become a graphic artist, a graphic designer, because that is really what he has always wanted to do. And he has people that are waiting. He's already done some work for people and they're paying him. And it just, it just warms up my soul that, you know, and he's in his fifties. This is not like a 30 year old guy. I mean, this is a guy who's almost 60 years old and he's going back to school to become what he really wants to do with the rest of his life. Look, I'm just curious, but what type of art was it? Yeah, it was, it was mostly all like boats and oceans, but he also had painted uh, dogs. And I mean, he, he's just a, he's just an artist and he, he put together some video commercials for me already. I shared them with my team and they are like, this is the best stuff that we've seen come across our desk in a long time. So he was just multi-talented. After kind of experiencing that with a client, what do you think after all of your years of working with clients, what is your ideal client? Who would be a good candidate to work with you? A good candidate is someone who their life looks really good on paper, but inside they are just not okay. Something is missing or they just find themselves perpetually angry or perpetually sad or a combination of the both, you know, if you looked at their life, you would think, well, they've got it all together, but they don't, they know inside that they don't have it all together. And there's something big that's missing. A chunk is missing. What types of clients do you think would not be a good candidate? 
The client who's not a good candidate is the client who is looking for me to rescue them. They want me to come in with a magic wand and just like boopity boopity and twink my nose. And, you know, they think that everything's going to be fine. Just if, you know, Allison Roberts is in their life now, their life is fine. That's, that's not my ideal client. My ideal client is somebody who's ready to get to work. Yeah. You know, that's honestly what I see some of these other not so good coaches promising, you know, I could take you out of there. I could, you know, what do you feel about other coaches that sort of do something similar to what you do? Or do you agree with their philosophies? How are you different from them? I'm different from a lot of coaches because first of all, I give a lot of my time, my personal time, like a lot of coaches, they, they have a team. So they're the person that you're seeing up front is not the person you're getting. You're going to get, you know, Tracy or Steve or, you know, Lisa, they're the person that you're really going to be working with. And that is not me. Like you get Allison. I think that's really important. Number one. Number two, I think what separates me is that I, I meet you where you are. And so you know, if you're not struggling with your family, if your if your home situation is good, then I'm not going to coach to that. If it's money that you're struggling with, like if you can make a lot but you can't keep it, you know, you have your money is a roller coaster, then that's what I'm going to speak to and that's what I'm going to coach to. And I have a process that works. We can plug it into your home life. We can plug it into your finances. We can plug it into your career. We can plug it into your health. We can plug it into all these things. You know, I've had some other coaches say, well, Allison Roberts says that she can fix anything and that's not true. I can fix you and then you fix it because it's never about the thing. It's about us. It's how we, it's about how we're seeing a situation and I help you fix you. So there are a lot of amazing coaches out there who have some great processes, but the biggest mistake that I see is coaches who really don't want to work and they, they want to be millionaires and, and work 10 hours a week. And that is not reality, first of all. And secondly, I don't think it's fair to other people to throw them, to throw them into a team and them not get what you're promising them. So do you believe all of this, so your experiences in the past, the way you're different, do you think that's what specifically made you one of the top 100 coaches? I do. When Feedspot reached out to me and told me that that I had won this designation, first of all, I didn't even know that I was being considered <laughs> for the designation, um, but I did ask them, why did you pick me? And they look at your philanthropy. I give a lot away. I give away my book. I give away, you know, I do a lot of free webinars, a, a lot of free classes, a lot of free meditations, a lot of free guidance. And so they look at philanthropy, but they also look at the results that people experience. They look at testimonials. They, um, they're kind of like, spying on you in a way. So they listen and they, they tune into what people are, are saying. And the people who work with me, they get results. And, and the people who don't get results who work with me, either it wasn't, first of all, it's really rare. I will say that. And that, I know that's a bold statement, but it's true. Either it wasn't a good fit in the beginning 
or they had a life circumstance happen, like a death in the family or a, you know, a health crisis or something, and they just weren't able to commit to the work. And that's completely understandable. But people who who come into my program and commit to the work, they see phenomenal results. Kind of get more into detail about your psychology and your spiritual side. How do you combine both of them? I always find it interesting when I see people combine. What is your view on that? Well, the science works. You know, you can apply the science, but the science by itself can become really dry. And if you're just relying on the science of, you know, a circumstance happens, we have a thought about it, then we have a feeling about it, then we act a certain way, which gets us a different result or a certain result. You know, if we just study that over and over and over again, we will have results, but we become sort of robotic. So that's why combining our spiritual beliefs, whatever they are, that higher energy that, you know, God or Jesus or Buddha or, you know, the Hindu gods and goddesses or whatever it is that people tie their faith to. When, when we pull in that invisible spiritual team, that's always working on our behalf, then we allow ourselves to see the miracles and that's when manifesting becomes magical because manifesting will work with the science. But when you, when you have this element of spirituality that's combined with it, I find that the miracles happen much faster and they're bigger. When it comes to the spiritual side, how did you adopt that? Were you always naturally a really spiritual person or we kind of have interviewed people similar to you. And what usually happens is that they're following the science route and they have colleagues that tell them not to go that spiritual side. Did you ever experience that too? Yes. I, I have, I have been like thrown out of jobs and communities and job interviews, honestly, because the spirituality is so important to me that I wanted to make sure that people know that it's a component that, that I it's a necessary component. If you're going to work with me, if you're going to be, you know, in my community, it's, you know, it's something that you're going to hear me talk about a lot. So if you don't subscribe to it, then I am not your person and that's okay. I surprise people because my neighbor, when I was five years old, accidentally hit me in the head with a baseball bat during a, a softball game. She swung through and she didn't realize that I was standing behind her and it busted my head wide open. And on the way to the hospital, you know, I kept, you know, passing out and coming back to you and losing consciousness. And I remember this beautiful man with this amazing brown skin and these like hazel eyes and this like beautiful, not dreads, but just this beautiful, like long black hair that just kept I could, I could just feel him like his arms around me and I could just feel him, his, his hands on my head. And, and I was like, this is Jesus. And it was just such an, it, and I, I really believe that that's why I'm alive. I really believe that that's why I don't have the brain damage that the doctors told my parents I was going to have. I was perfectly fine. And, and I know that I received a healing from Jesus during that time. And so ever since then, I'm just like, he has me. Like, you know, he, he's got me. And yes, sometimes I do forget it because I'm human, but I always go back to, you know, 
he's with me and I, I know that he's here and I know that healing is real and it's possible. And so I can't not incorporate spirituality into, into my, into my career. I just can't not do it. How do you incorporate your natural intuition into things as well? You talk a lot about natural intuition and stuff like that. This is another thing that's a little bit different because I would think you were more of a logical thinker. So kind of. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm very logical, but I also have what I consider to be spiritual gifts, you know, a deeper, a deeper sense of intuition. So, you know, I can look at someone's life and just kind of see where their biggest pain happened I can see, you know, I can look at someone's life and see like different possibilities for the future, but I choose to use my intuition to look at someone's past because if we don't heal from our past, our future doesn't really matter. You know, we'll just keep running into the same challenges over and over and over and over. So I use my intuition to say, you know, do you remember when your grandmother didn't let you play in the backyard and she kept you inside watching soap operas with her all day long. And people are like, how did you know that? <laughs> Cause I can see it. Like that is what keeps standing in your way. This is where your prison is. And then we just work through that and heal it. And then the person to, can just get on with it. So what do you think is sort of the future of where you're going and where your business is going? Are there new things that you're implementing now because of COVID more online classes, more webinars. Can you kind of get into that too? Yeah. So my business went totally virtual. It was kind of, it was half and half because I have global um, clients. And so it was, you know, half, half in person, half virtual. Now it's 100% virtual. I actually prefer it that way because I was able to give up my brick and mortar office and work from home, which has actually turned into a big blessing. So where it's going is that I am holding a live event in October in Atlanta. So I am going to be bringing people together, but I've also decided to have it be virtual as well. So it's going to be my very first live event that is also a virtual event. So I'm a little nervous because I it's out of my comfort zone. I've never done anything like this before. Uh, but I have a really strong team who's supporting me. And, you know, my future, Jimbo, is just bringing people together. I think that our country is in a huge, it's been in a crisis, um, but because people don't want to change, they don't want to look at the crisis that we're in. I think that it's made the crisis, you know, it's screaming right now for attention and it needs to be because we, we need to do something about the, the state of our country right now on so many levels. I want to bring as many people together as I can so that people can start to see the goodness because there's so much good and so many people. And I think that when we start to lean into that, we can, we can have a collective voice that's way louder than it is right now. The voice of goodness is definitely a lot softer than other voices that we're hearing right now. We need to start coming together as people so that we can heal one another, so that we can heal the situation of our countries, so that we can heal the situation of the world. And I do, I do believe that that's possible, and I, do, and I do believe that I'm part of that. And what do you mean by this voice of goodness? I just... I just want to know kind of what you mean by that. 
the the voice of goodness is the voice that says, you know, we're different. Thank God. The voice of goodness is the is the voice that says, you know, everyone deserves a seat at the table. The voice of goodness is, you know, innocent until proven guilty. The voice of innocence, the voice of goodness is, you know, just the voice that that is calm, the voice that brings peace to the world, the voice that brings equality to the world, the voice that brings everyone together, regardless of who they love, the color of their skin, you know, how they grew up, how much money is in their wallet and their bank account and their checking account, all these things. We, we need to, we need to do just a much, much better job of, of goodness. Kind of speaking of all that, you know, you talk about approaches. I kind of was interested to know, what do you mean by meditation? Do you, can you kind of go into specifics about what types of exercises you make your clients do or? Yeah. um, I don't make them. do anything, but I do invite them um, to meditate. I have guided meditations that I give them to heal the inner child and to get in touch with the, with themselves. You know, meditation can just be breathing. You know, people always want their mind to stop during meditation. And I laugh and I'm like, well, you really don't because that means you're dead. So, you know, I, when people are meditating and they're like, Allison, I can't stop thinking about like my rent payment or my mortgage payment or how much trouble my kid is in or the fact that my marriage is in the toilet. I'm like, just let the thoughts come, you know, because we're trying to push them away all day anyway. We're trying to, you know, drown them out with Facebook and Netflix and, you know, politics and all this stuff anyway. So just let the thoughts come and examine the thought. Like, what are, what are you thinking about it? What are you really thinking about it? How is it making you feel? That can just be a form of meditation itself. It doesn't have to be this perfect practice of mantras and alms and getting to this place of, you know, you're, you feel like you're sitting in the palm of God's hand. I mean, if you get there in meditation, that's great, but I've really only been there in meditation a few times in my life. (laughs) So the people that can get there and stay there, I'm like, good for you. But for me, meditation really is just allowing myself to slow down and, and taking a true look at my life and where it needs work. You sort of went into your book as well. Can you kind of elaborate kind of, are you, do you, you want to speak about it? Because you said it was uh, still a work in progress. Yeah. So I do have a book that everyone receives for free when they join my mailing list. And that's called the, the magic within. And it, it just helps you just start to see, you know, the power that's inside of you. And then my book collaboration, the book that's coming out this summer is called Behind the Power. And that is the book where the other authors are collaborating together. I love this book so much. The stories are all about these women who have overcome some some fantastic and some amazing things. And the steps that they took to get to where they are right now. So it is a self-help memoir and it's, I'll let you know Jimbo when it's out so that you can uh, share it with your audience. If you want to, I'll send you a copy of the book as well. 
it's just really, it's, it's uplifting. It's, it's insightful. Um, and there's a lot of good tools in there to help people who are struggling. And are there any sort of final words you'd like to say to the audience? Yeah. The thing that, um, that I want to say is that no matter where you are on your path right now, you are where you are for a reason and that there in every single painful thing that happens in our life, there is innate power. And I just invite you to be willing to ask the universe, where is my power in this situation and be willing to accept the answer and then soar because you will. All right. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me.